There are all sorts of ways in which we love to do this. Open up the mic. You know what I'm saying? Yeah! You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Welcome to Mate Dates, the show where we make dates with our mates and encourage you to do that, of course. Yola. Welcome to the show. Brayden, I got one question to ask you. It's probably the most important question in the height of this corona craziness. Is a tiger a house pet? Ooh. Uh, why not bring the zoo into your home? So you're, you're like, yeah. Joe, you agree with Joe Exotic? <laughs> Exotic. I haven't seen Tiger King actually. I've heard many things, but and everyone's uh, cosplaying as the Tiger King as well, aren't they? Mate, he's a hit. He's a hit, man. (laughs) Dude, this thing. If you actually haven't seen it, it is absolutely bananas, man. You got to watch it because I. Is it funny? Oh my! It, dude, it's funny. It's like engaging. It's tragic. It's it's everything. Like I, I, I definitely will cop up to the fact that I saw it and saw people were liking it and just thought it was some trashy reality TV nonsense. Um, but you watch that first episode, man, and you're going to be like, you get sucked in so quickly. To put it like as succinctly as I could, it's actually basically a kind of like Game of Thrones if it were about wow. tigers, <laughs> like about people okay. worshipping tigers. Because the level of drama that gets into these... Uh, you know, factions of people who have way too much time and money on their hands to have, you know, hundreds of tigers in their fucking house. It's crazy, man. It's, it blows Is your that mind. literally it? Just Tiger City? It's basically about how people are setting up and have been setting up for the past, you know, couple of decades, especially in the United States, these private zoos, and they import exotic animals like wild tigers and it's actually gotten to the point where there are more wild tigers in the United States in these enclosures, in these zoos, than there are actually in the wild. So that's why the documentary showed how all these power players, because it became a whole world about, you know, everyone knew each other. There's this one chick who, in the documentary, it's speculated that she's killed her husband, that Carol Baskin, and then that's become a whole meme, you know, Carol Baskin, <laughs> did she do it? And then the main guy, Joe Exotic, as you said, is that guy, the cra- I, I, can't, I imagine people are loving the cosplay, like a mullet, he's got piercings and the tattoos. And they basically, the whole documentary, he's just smoking meth with his boyfriends. It's... <laughs> Great, endless entertainment. But but <laughs> I thought that sounds was like good. some redneck fun. I was wondering, oh, what what would the uh, import be like from China? Like, are they looking at um, the tigers and going, oh, we could totally cook them up in the wet markets? I mean, they must be thinking about it, but surely Corona's got them, you know, at least double thinking that. I did see that they are actually going to make them illegal now, and yeah. I think the Australian government as well specifically is putting pressure on them to enforce that uh, ruling. But, you know, there's a, there's a real case, I guess you could make morally, that peasants need food. And if yeah. they don't have access to this jungle meat, where do they get, you know, their... Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how you solve that problem. Yeah, I don't, I don't understand. Like, so the peasants need the food, 
But then they could be getting their hands on exotic pangolins, <laughs> which doesn't sound too cheap. <laughs> nah, it doesn't, eh? So, I don't know. But I've also heard, yeah, it's like their supermarket. It's not like, I don't it's know, Coles. it's not something... Yeah, it's Coles, right. It's Coles is out on the streets. <laughs> <laughs> well, wait, well, you remember you remember Bilo? Oh, yeah. Dude. That's Bilo, like Australia. That was an, <laughs> <laughs> they had to export after a while. That's why they all went away about in the more last like, ten years. More like NQR. Yeah, <laughs> NQR. not quite right about that. NQR. <laughs> okay, I gotta ask you this as well. We're not even onto our topics yet, but who cares? Where did you hear that from? Because I heard that from. I never heard that in my life until I heard that, and it sounded so ridiculous. But it turns out I think every, it's just an Aussie like slangism, is it right? Oh, no, it's an actual store. I remember there was one in Hampton Park. It was down the road from, I don't know, where I grew up, my old stomping grounds. Uh, 100%. It was NQR, and I was asking mum, what the hell is that supposed to mean? Not quite right. Okay. Well, why are we going there? <laughs> why are we shopping? Why are we doing our shopping and trusting these people when they're saying that their products are not quite right? I mean, you'd think that that would be a thing of, you know, Disadvertising rather than right. <laughs> our products like don't work. Too real. It's yeah. too real. Yeah. Well, okay, and it, well, our listeners, if if you guys are NQR and you want to tell us about how NQR you are, you're welcome to. Uh, we have an email set up, so let us know at uh, I think it was matestatespodcast at gmail dot com. I should probably know that before I say it, but it's either <laughs> that or it's mate <laughs> mate at gmail dot com. You can see the amount of effort that goes into the show. Um, but let's talk about what we were going to talk about. We feel as if we need to give some Corona update because we are living through this madness in real time. And it uh, allows us to, I don't know, what would you say, Braden? Like uh, journal our adventures mm-hmm. in the in the quarantine uh, fun times. And yeah. you had a story you wanted to, to bring up about what's been going on recently. Every, every day I see something new. Every week, yeah, it's like a month. So especially in these crazy times. Um, yeah, what was that story? So so we've heard about this. Some kind of pastor from the Bible Belt has taken to South America. The reason the, this virus has spread so far is because of globalization. It's because of the fact that planes are able to reach every corner of the globe. And when you're a part of that, global community you're really yeah you're you're vulnerable to this virus that's it and so with this tribe that's just uncontacted and unreachable via our global community means they're really separate and they're a, they're a very special kind of people because they're so isolated yeah as you say these religious churches were going to these native tribes and deliberately exposing them to like potentially to the to the coronavirus and there's actually been instances of that all over the place with religious groups coming together as if they could somehow magically pray away the epidemiology of a virus and um there's i've been seeing it everywhere there's so many churches that have refused to uh, obey these lockdown laws unless you know they're enforced by police and they'll just say well no you know god's gonna protect us from this you know shield our immune systems for the next hour while we pray and uh you know maybe um 
I've, I maybe would know some scientists who could disagree with that, but uh, I'm sure. <laughs> it's got, yeah, I mean, the, the fact that you're congregating as a community in a church, I mean, but just because you're a church doesn't exclude you from being not a person and being, like, susceptible to transferring this virus. So it's really just a slap in the face. It's a face palm and a half because you get these uh, priests and whatever else congregating everyone together, praying the virus away, and then half of the church gets uh, infected and tests positive. So, was, yeah, wasn't there that one story? And then the, and I can't remember what he said, but he's like, I, I apologize, you know, my belief wasn't strong enough or something. I, it's yeah. just, it's really beyond my level of fathomable. Right, I mean, I guess it goes to the general irrational approach that some religious people have towards science generally because it seems as if to become fundamentally religious like if you were fundamentally it's not just metaphors right that you're using to help guide your human journey developing your human potential right you're 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 not doing it like that you're sort of saying it's real and 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 there really is a man who's going to protect me from this virus if i Mm. worship him strongly enough um i think when you're at that point there's a general lack of coherence in most of what you're going to be thinking about. And so the idea that you're going to have any reliance on science to guide your daily behavior when you've already convinced yourself that there's a uh, omnipotent daddy watching over you specifically, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a tough thing to convince someone of if, if they've already gotten that far down the, uh, the faith rabbit hole. Uh, in that sense, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Yeah, very well put. And it's, you know, it's the long dick of reality just slaps you in the face. And it's not just reality, it's, you know, it's your biology. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I prefer turkey slap. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just, it, uh, your your faith is really questioned at this point, isn't it? Like, when when half of your church is praying and... And you, possibly even you or yourself. Like, and don't, don't these churches know that they have Zoom? Yes! You can right. have you can have Zoom <laughs> prayers, man. You can have Zoom gatherings and, and have Zoom repentance. It's... it's you got to blame the Bible Belt. Uh, and the fact that, you know, like, did you hear the governor of Mississippi was saying, we're not going to lock down because we're, not, we're never going to be China. And then mm. a couple of weeks later... Mississippi has the highest hospitalization rate of COVID-19. Right. Right, yeah, and it's that it's right. kind of that arrogance that a lot of uh places had specifically in Italy. You had, you know, places that just said even us. Yeah, even us. Definitely. Yeah. To an extent, you know, like the the um Australian government had 2 months to act on it. And yeah, for the for those 2 months they were very much in denial. Uh, didn't want to face the music and felt like it was easier to just brush it off. Then when it became real, and I don't even know, like, I guess it's more pressure from health experts and uh, the rising rate of cases, that became more prescient and they had to do something about it. They actually had to react and start to put these laws in place. You know, I remember it was only a couple of weeks ago they weren't. They didn't even have a stage two of these lockdown restrictions, and now we're looking at stage four, which is complete mm. lockdown. Wow! So it's really amazing how fast this this moves. Yeah, it is. Like it reminds you that 
uh, I, I don't know. It you have to have been around a while to see, I guess, a few rises and dips in how society is is you know getting on. But I guess from mm-hmm. our perspective, being in our twenties, it is. It, it, I guess it's kind of like a wake up call where it's like things just aren't as stable as you would like them to be, even when everyone pretends that they that, right. that it is. Um, yeah. As sure as the sun will rise tomorrow, kind of thing. Yeah, we take and, these things for granted. Yeah, but but that, as, but I think you know, as everyone I think is thinking about it, it does come with a flip side. It comes with like actually appreciating uh, when we are allowed to leave our houses. Like I don't, like if yes. we were having this conversation in person and we had one extra friend, now it's illegal. If you said right. if you said that to someone like you know, if not even twenty years ago, that in twenty years it's going to be illegal to have a conversation with three friends in your own house. Even <laughs> last year, even like a yeah. year ago, like yeah, you just, yeah. it wouldn't even yeah. And the obvious you would think that they... aliens would have landed or something, and it basically is. It's like this alien thing has then just started to fucking shake us all up, and this yeah, alien has spawned from bat meat trying to kill us all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, all right. Should we talk about uh, our first actual topic? <laughs> you had a yeah. uh, an, a, a discussion of uh, what we would might call trauma that you wanted to to bring uh, up. So yes, okay. So I wanted to bring this up, and you know, uh, as we continue with these episodes, I'm yeah. sure it'll become more of a you know, the topics that I kind of bring to the table are going to be more like a book club. So I thought that um, bringing this up is uh, extremely salient as it feels like, well, everyone's going through somewhat of a traumatic time at this point. Um, things of, uh, that were familiar are no longer familiar. Our world is changing. We have to adapt. Um, so I actually have, yeah, read this book recently, had it in my library for a little bit. Um, discovered it from a podcast with Sam, ha- Sam Harris and Adam Grant. And the book itself is actually co-authored by Adam Grant and Cheryl Sandberg. Mm. Uh, Cheryl Sandberg is actually, uh, she works for Facebook and Mark Zuckerberg's a um, boss, which is something I found out later in the book. It's not even the most fascinating part about it. Mark, um, Mark Zuckerberg has a boss? No, no, Cheryl Sandberg's boss is Mark Zuckerberg. Oh, okay. Right, gotcha. yeah, so she works under him. And, uh, yeah, no, the, the subtitle for the book is Facing Adversity, Building Resilience, and Finding Joy. And um, you would even think that that has a real uh, Buddhism kind of origin because of the nature of that. And she does touch on it a little bit, but it's like I've read books that were much more... Um, you know, it had a much more underlying Buddhist tone to it. Um, so one thing I actually like with resilience, it's it's a word that I've I've heard of since primary school. I'd never truly understood what it meant. Um, and in primary school, it was actually it was described to me as bouncing back. And I think that's hmm. that's okay, yeah, for a you know ten year old yeah. to understand bouncing back. Sure. Yeah. But I think now I have more of a refined understanding of it. And I think it's, from what I understand, it's the idea of taking something and changing it to suit your needs. So in face of adversity, you can use positive psychology, Buddhist techniques to then change what you have 
and make it suit you. So I find that like if I were to put that into terms now, and I love this from um, Duncan Trussell's episode with David Nickturn. I don't know if you heard that one. No. This is from the okay. Duncan Trussell family hour? That's the one, yeah. Mm. The DTFH. Shout out. Shout out. Um, yeah, absolute no sponsorship or partnership, but yeah, I love those guys. Um, so, you know, and David Nick Turney says that, uh, well, it's actually Duncan that brings it up, but yeah, like it's, um, it's, it's, you're in a prison right now. Everyone has kind of found themselves in this prison of their home. They're forced to be in lockdown. Seems very horrible, doesn't it? So what if we were able to change that and make it suit our needs? And he, Duncan brings it up in terms of changing your environment into a gym, into something that you can, you know, the gyms are obviously closed, but, and it doesn't even need to be a physical one, but something where you can work on yourself yeah, just from your own home and, and, and therefore being in line with the government policies and procedures of... <laughs> Stage three lockdown, guys. Um, so, yeah, I love that. It's it's great. Instead of just feeling sitting there feeling sorry for yourself and wishing for the days to be over, where we can finally go back outside, which in hindsight we'll take him for granted, and you know, not even exercising those those rights as well as we probably could have. Um, yeah, it's just you're able to work on yourself. You know, like there is one way you could go about it, and it is to drink yourself to death to uh, exist in virtual reality and screw this reality right off um, or you can work on yourself uh, mentally, physically, spiritually whatever because the world is going to return at one point so we need to be ready for that to happen when that happens and yeah come back stronger and better than ever so I feel like you know bring it back to the book this book is just really um, just pertinent at this time uh, I feel for everyone because, you know, it's called option B because the book has come has come about from Cheryl's uh, late husband that she lost just in a freak accident, and what his name was Dave. Dave was option A. Option B is whatever we're going to do to overcome this, and we're going to kick the shit out of option B, you know, whatever that is, and I love that. Right. Yeah. What happened to the husband? Um, they were at a resort of some sort, and he went to the gym there. Uh, speaking of gyms, and he was on the <laughs> treadmill, and I don't, I don't. It didn't even seem very conclusive, but it seemed to also almost like he tripped and fell, uh, hit his head, and that was kind of left, right, good night. <laughs> Uh, he fell. He fell on a treadmill. Yeah, that's a rough yeah. way to go. And it's 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 very shocking. You yeah. know, you'd never expect it. You're on holiday. Well, at a wedding or something. Yeah, it's I, interesting because you said a lot there. So, like, let's talk mm. about maybe resilience for a little bit. So, yeah, I think what you said just then about, um, you know, it's a very general thing, isn't it, to to accept that. Uh, plan B, right? That that metaphor does, I think, connect. It connects with me for sure. But I, I think a lot of people would connect with that metaphor, the idea that you shouldn't rigidly hold on to whatever you think your plan is, like your your destiny. And and actually, speaking of Sam Harris, um, you know, I'm pretty into his meditation app as well. He had a a podcast with a a poet that I 
I'm going to blank on the name, but he said something. Oh, was, uh, I think it was William Buckley, something like that. Buckley sounds okay. right. And the, the line he had was something like, you become, you know, the meeting place from your desires, but also what the world desires of you. Like, you're never going to be, you never, your path is never going to be exactly what you want because that would, that would disregard the external nature of the world impacting itself on you. And that's right, fate comes for us all. If, if, if fate is dying on a treadmill, it's dying on a treadmill, however weirdly that sounds. But that's right. Like, the, the only attitude you could adopt at that point, realistically would be to say, well, what's my next plan? What's my, what's, if, if it's not going to work out with uh, Joe and two kids because Joe had an untimely accident, is my mm. life just over? Am I supposed to just get into mm. a ball in the shower and never leave? Well, no, you have, to, you have to formulate some alternate path. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, in, in, in one way or another, we're all living our form of option B. And if we aren't yet, and we're stuck in the in the period of resisting this change, then you might know about this option B and a, and and a better way to be living in in this current time, or yeah, you you might be yeah just assessing what an option B might look like, or you might be just living it. And you know, she had to really move on because she still had kids um, with this guy, so she had. Uh, a boy and a girl, pretty young, primary age. And, you know, that was part of her reason to move on. Not only for her own sake and her own well-being, but she wanted to do well by her kids. And not only her kids, his kids. So, you know, you have to kind of look at it in, a, in her perspective, at least. Like, her kids were a way for him to continue living his legacy, at least. You know? Right. Um yeah, and keep the idea of Dave alive and not die along with herself. Because, you know, she was in this very valuable position to, as she remembered him and knew him probably the best, she was able to let him live vicariously through her kids, through herself, and the way that she conducted her everyday living. You can accept the better things. And it's it's really, it's a lot of it's mindset. Um, but... Yeah, actually, there was three things that um, Ooh, okay. would stunt recovery. Right. So it's the three Ps that stunt recovery, and here they are. Okay. Um, Give it to me. First of all, personalization. Um, that is the belief that you are at fault of said undesired outcome. Right. Mm. Um, when you when you personalize it and think that you are at fault you're going to struggle to then move on. The world is against me. Yeah, yeah. And you are to blame. And yeah. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Everyone hates you for it. <laughs> Secondly, pervasiveness, the belief that it will impact all areas of your life. Oh, okay. See, I think that some people would agree and say, but it is per pervasive. It, It's affected the, the public transport system. The I can't watch the footy. It, everything's, you know, everything has been impacted by this. Is that, is that really? also has kind it? of like uh, catastrophizing in a way? Kind of like where you take yeah. one small thing and it becomes like your world falling apart. Is that kind of similar, I guess? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, if you, if you look at it like spilt milk, <laughs> I mean, is spilt milk really going to 
impact all your life. I don't know. It's just one little thing. (laughs) Milk, and you can deal with it. You just don't. You don't walk in where the milk has been spilled. That's it. Obviously, yeah. And what's the final? You walk around. And the final one is is permanence. The belief that things will never be the same. Um, And and you know, initially when this virus was spreading and we were then forced into some sort of lockdown. it's probably normal to feel like those three P's are reality and the truth. Um, but I think upon further uh, investigation um, and reflection on it, you will see that none of those things were actu- are actually true. Um, things will... This too shall pass. Things will return back to quote-unquote normal. You know, capitalism is so strong, we rely on it, it's we don't know anything else, it's going to come back. Um, I mean, face those facts and you'll see yourself recovering from this traumatic experience a lot easier. I mean, what if they don't, though? I mean, like, there is a kind of feeling, I guess things could return to normal, but I I don't know if if you feel this, but when I see... Like, cause, cause, there's just no way to make sense of it if you're, if you're just a guy. <laughs> if it feels like to me, because there are people saying that ethically and scientifically, based on the you know epidemiology of this thing, we should be on lockdown for like nine months, and then all mm. of our leaders and state officials and and presidents and prime ministers are saying things like no just two to three weeks and you get the feeling like there's this old i think airplane i think i got it if it was from 30 rock i don't know if you watch that show but it was it was kind of a joke in one of the episodes where when you have delays on an airplane you never tell the the passengers that they're going to be stuck for longer than 20 minutes you always just keep telling like intervals of 20 minutes. Oh, sorry, it's just going to be another 20 minutes. We've got to fix this. And then it'll take two seconds. Don't worry, they'll be in the air. And then 20 minutes mm. pass. And then he's, oh, no, no, no. We've just got this other thing that came up. 20 minutes will be... And, and it, you get the feeling that, like, well, maybe things return to normal. But if they do, do we expect massive rise in, you know, this thing getting out to people in hospitals, getting overrun? Uh, what time is it best to, to do that? Because they haven't, the, our leaders effectively have an incentive to get us back into the economy as quickly as possible and, and start to... So so I appreciate what you're saying and try to comfort people and I should undermine that. But at the same time, <laughs> I don't know, man. We'll see. I don't, I, nothing, is, nothing is certain in my world. It's like, maybe mm. things go back to normal, but what will that normal be? I don't think it will be no. the same because... No, you think and, the economy has taken a massive hit, and you know you think, um, th- you know maybe we'll appreciate um, our social lives a lot more. I think that could, like, you can imagine keeping mm. humans kept cooped up for a few weeks at a time yeah. will, will have some effect. Um, I don't know. So, so do you? Do you? What's your timeline on it then? Do you think maybe a month or two, and then people will be back out there? Oh, no, look, I think realistically, yeah, you're looking at more something more like six months. Um, you know, I did hear... <laughs> I, know, I mean, yeah. I'm just speaking through the scientists who are actually the virologists looking for cures and, and, and immune... Uh, yeah, vaccine. Um, they say, you know, minimum six to 12 months kind of thing. Um, uh, but, but look... Yeah, it is an extended period of time, and it does feel like, well, that's a very long time. I don't know if I can survive until then. 
Well, the other thing uh, is, it's like, I, I, I mean, I guess yeah. some people do feel that. I don't really feel that. <laughs> no, so, yeah. Yeah, it, it depends on, I guess, your personality too. Uh, yeah. And it seems to me that we have trained uh, and actually um, a, a, a acquired some sort of pre-traumatic growth. So we didn't have to go through the death of a loved one to find, to realize, like, what matters most and, and how to deal with trauma when it does arrive. Um, and yeah. that's a real stoic thing, isn't it? So it's the uh, premeditating negative experiences and, and, and on top of that, some sort of negative visualization so that we know what we have in front of us at any given time can be taken away. Yeah, I think that's the difference. It's uh, what you just said. It's like there's a difference between if you're just like us, a young person stuck at home, that is not a cause for real suffering. It's like if you, if mm. your if your economic circumstances has has been upended by this, like you know, this thing, right? This whole pandemic and the fact that it's completely paused the global economy. If your life has been upended by that, like a lot of people have, that's like maybe then the stress and all of that. That's all that's necessary and and real. But it's like, yeah, it's it's that. It's it's that a lot of people our age who, who are just stuck at home, really. They're just bored and they don't know how to deal with boredom. I don't know. I'm running out of patience for like, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I guess on some level you, you, you respect that other people are different and we, there's a reason why we have a spectrum of introversion and extroversion. Um, but at the same time, just from my point of view, it's like, come on, man. It's just like, yeah, you've got all the time in the world. You can't come up with a single thing to do. You can't come up with a single thing to create or like to, to actually... To, I don't know. It's like my mind does not function in that way, but f- fair enough. If people are that mm. bored that they just feel like nihilistic suffering is the only thing worth doing. <laughs> <laughs> it's the only logical outcome. I guess, man. Yeah. Human beings, know, we're going to bore ourselves into Armageddon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I hope something good comes from it, you know, some sort of uh, learning experience. No, I think um, you're right. That's true. Then yeah, that could happen. Just, can't be just endless suffering. you no, got to look yeah. into that at some point. No, I think you're saying, and I love what I love seeing in Italy was the DJ like balcony shows and people playing like mm. sax and and all this stuff on their balcony chant. Like music is a beautiful thing in that respect, you know, really uniting people of all colors and creeds. And yeah, I think this. I mean, hopefully, out of this, we discover that so much of what we were doing before was just putting drones into a building. Like, there's so much human potential that we could be using for all sorts of different human endeavors uh that maybe people figure out when they're at home like oh like maybe i maybe i shouldn't mm. just be committed to this full-time thing maybe i should have some other aspect of my life where i play guitar for no reason or i practice poetry or i write short stories to keep my mind occupied like whatever it is you need another mm. thing you can't just define yourself by oh, i lift boxes from nine to five it's just not going to be i just don't think it's a stain it's a sustainable identity in the end it's not going to be strong enough you need to have good friends family that you care about all this stuff that's going to build the basis for being comfortable in the midst of being stuck at home i think i don't know <laughs> yeah yeah, and who's to say this isn't going to happen again? So, wouldn't it be wise to be... <laughs> That's wouldn't it be wise to be we have no idea with... when this could happen. Like, this could happen... We could, this no. could be a COVID-20 tomorrow. Like, this, this, <laughs> if, if the wet markets are still going on and the people will eat their yeah, jungle exactly. meat, dude, come on. Yeah, yeah. People got to hey, eat I mean, bats. Exactly. People well, got to eat But look bats. at it this way, you know, like, David Attenborough, life will persist. Even in the, <laughs> the most desolate areas of the world, 
you can see some form of life and yeah. you know us making music and, and making creations that's just all part of that and exploring your potentialities you know boom mm. drop the mic beautiful we got yeah. so deep I think we're just rambling now so maybe we should take a break <laughs> <laughs> sounds good sounds good sounds good sounds good sounds good back to mates dates in this segment of the show we're going to talk about a little thing called pascal's wager so you might have heard of this before and it's a philosophical idea so this show as Braden pointed out in the first segment you know we talk about things that we're interested in and philosophy is one of those things and if you are interested in philosophy you probably know that this you know, wager, this argument, whatever you want to call it, has many layers to it. It's much more complex than the version that we will talk about here. But I think it's actually uh, a very cool starting point for any discussion about the religious reality of the afterlife and having a in-depth but also engaged look at the reasoning behind beliefs about the afterlife and since we did start this discussion tangentially related to the fear of death in the form of what Brain was talking about uh, with trauma there, this also comes to the fear of death, I think, because we all feel the impulse to want to believe in an afterlife, I suppose, because we fear uh, death and non-existence, or if you believe in hell, then hellfire burning for all eternity. And before we talk about it, uh, I just probably should throw it to you, Brayden. What are your thoughts on the afterlife here? Do you have any deep ideas that you would like to share before we discuss Pascal's wager? Damn, deep thoughts about the afterlife. Mate, uh, would you like to give me an hour special on my own? Or? They could be shallow. That's <laughs> okay. okay we right. could do shallow. Afterlife, that's so interesting. I don't know where where do we even begin with that like it i think that comes down to how you mind body and spirit and your consciousness and like 
yeah, where, where the limitations of your skin kind of mm. meet the the realm of your consciousness. Like, yeah, I don't know. Like, I like that. I think about the you? afterlife. You're talking about skin. That's perfect. <laughs> right, right. Like, <laughs> the skin is our, that... our vehicle to the afterlife, I suppose, if our skin... All right, well, well let, me, let me just sum it up like this. Sure. Apparently, this is something I've heard. You are not a human being having a spiritual experience. You are a spiritual being having a human experience. <laughs> so, take that there as you well. There you go. Well, I didn't plan on getting that esoteric, but I love that you took us there. So, so you haven't heard Pascal's Wager before. You've probably heard a version of this argument, I suppose, but you might not have heard of it referred to Pascal's Wager, but you told me you haven't heard of Pascal's Wager before. Is that right? Yeah, like, look, when you told me about it, I, I did a quick Google just to make sure I had my facts straight. I have heard of it before. Um, and, it, yeah, it, it generally comes down... It, it's generally related to the argument of um, whether God exists, whether religion is true, um, and kind of like a Sophie's Choice kind of scenario with uh, should you or shouldn't you, if you are on the fence you would usually utilize Pascal's wager as a way to reach a conclusion. Yeah, definitely. Am I on the right track? Yeah. Yeah, no, you are. So like, let's just let's just lay it out then for our listeners and for us. So the idea is that you're on your deathbed and as you just pointed out, you, you're kind of on the fence and the wager is supposed to be, it's supposed to be in your interest, in, in your rational interest to put it precisely to believe in God at that stage, and, and this actually does happen, you do have priests and religious figures who, even throughout history, come to the bedside of people who are dying to give them one last chance to repent, um, to believe in God, because the promise is, well, and this is again the, a very simple form of the argument, it's much more depth, look into it for yourself, this is two people talking over the internet, that's as, as complex and formal as it's going to be. But the general, mm. the, the, the general thought is on your deathbed, it's be, it becomes more rational to believe in God if it follows from that premise that you will be spoiled in the afterlife with infinite rewards and goods. And it's irrational to remain atheistic or to remain, I don't know, in some other religion that doesn't have an afterlife reward component to it like buddhism wouldn't apply it wouldn't apply there because buddhism is reincarnation it's not afterlife you come back as like a you know whatever you come back as so this this only works in the context of religions who have promises of the afterlife but that's supposed to be the impulse in philosophy sometimes we call these thought experiments but also intuition pumps because it's supposed to pump elicit the intuition that it's rational to believe in God on your deathbed if the afterlife is true. Now, what do you think about that? Yeah, and mm, I think it, it, that would vary depending on who you talk to as well, uh, whether you are deemed uh, worthy of entering the pearly gates. Uh, you know, you can't just ignore him and deny him your whole life. To some people, I'm sure, you can't deny him your whole life and then on your deathbed say oh wait no I do I do accept him and bring him into my life and yeah mere moments before your last breath you can make yourself worthy of, of entering can you make uh, yourself believe 
Like that's a real that's a real question that comes up. Like, can you make your if I'm a, if I'm an atheist, right, and I'm on my deathbed, and the priest tells me, well, you know, I get it. You're you're not convinced. You don't believe in the miracles. You don't believe in the the stories. Fair enough. But just just believe it because if you don't, it's it's you know it's going to be rough. You're not going to see mom. You're not going to see all your dead you know friends that you love and your dead pets. You're not going to see them. So just believe. But that's a real question. Can you make yourself believe? In, a, in any proposition, let alone a foundational one that forms your picture of reality, right? Can you make yourself believe anything, let alone a religious belief in the afterlife? Can you, can you force it? Wow. That's a very interesting question. And, and the way you're posing it sounds like uh, the start of a Vsauce experiment. Hey, you Vsauce. <laughs> hey, Vsauce. Michael here. Um... So, can you make yourself believe? I think there's there's always going to be some vein of you that you know that you're fooling. You know, you're fooling yourself. So, you kind of have to get over that hurdle. Exactly. Spend yeah. your beliefs and then believe. It's kind of like that. Yeah. Um, and I'd, that- say, I'd say, yeah. It, on your deathbed, you're probably more, uh, let's say, vulnerable and suggestible. And um, people have been known to completely transform and turn around their lives upon uh, realizing that their mortality is coming to an end. Their clock is ticking down and, and it's very close to the end. So, you know, that's uh, that's part of the mortality salience. And So um, you're somewhat mm. feeling the intuition that it is rational at that point to say, fuck it, let, like, God exists, give me my... Okay. After life. Okay. But but there is the other way, right? Isn't that Pascal's wager where it can be the other way of um okay, I believe him at the very last moment, but what if you you're not deemed worthy? What if you're actually <laughs> yeah. deemed more worthy to hell? Well, so imagine actually- imagine if God was like, well, you didn't believe sincerely at all your entire <laughs> life. You show up at the pearly gates, he's reading off your your, you know, your your recap and then he's like all you did was believe at the end cynically because you thought this would get you in i'm not letting you in like why would so that that's the other question would god reward insincere belief like would he reward someone who hasn't worshipped at all who hasn't shown any faith who's just done this mathematical rational equation and determined that well i'm going to force myself to adopt this what i believe to be fake belief because i'm coming at it from this non-faith based perspective so that's all that's really interesting but let me let me put this to you as well if um so this is this argument could be split apart because you could say well it becomes rational to believe in an afterlife but does that make it rational to believe in god because do you need god to have an afterlife and does god need to be an anthropomorphic omniscient figure in order for an afterlife to exist are the two things do are they packaged together in that sense or do you think an afterlife is a possibility without a you know Zeus-like figure, paternal figure, watch, watching over it? Um, no. M- remember what I said at the start. I said you you are a spiritual being having an ex- a human experience. So, I mean, personally, what I believe is once your human experience has come to an end, that's that then lies the beginning of your next experience, the afterlife experience, regardless of religion. It doesn't need to be tied up in all of it. Um, you can be an atheist and believe in an afterlife. Percent. 
Um, can you? You can believe what you want as well. The reality is what it's going to be. What is actually going to happen when the lights shut off? Um, so how does one be an eight? That's that's really fascinating that you think those go together because I, I think... I mean, maybe they can. Because I guess a, an atheist, <clears throat> an atheist is literally someone who doesn't adopt a religious theory. So I guess the only question I would have there is how do you have a theory of the afterlife if you're not going to adopt some stance, some religious stance to say, this is what I think happens? Because otherwise, so so you could say something like, and I, and I, like I have people in my family who believe something like this, where it's like, oh, I believe in reincarnation. And it's like, so what do you believe about it? Do you believe that you're going to become an animal? I mean, how does that work? Or is it, and when you, when you really get down to it, it's more of an abstract I would like it if this was true. Is that kind of what you're saying? Like, you can be an atheist and still kind of have the possibility of an afterlife open, but you couldn't really have a clear picture of, like, clouds and mum and dad and and all the pets that you lost in childhood, unless, unless you do. I don't know. Maybe I'm just, like, some sort of spiritual whack job of some sort. Um, I mean, we all but, should be. We, that, sh- that should be the stance that we all try to adopt. So. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, that's not be a, like a hard fast religion. I don't know. That uh, Maybe it's a bypass, a spiritual bypass of some sort. But it, I feel like it doesn't need to be grounded in any sort of traditional religion. Um, you can, yeah, I don't know. It. It's very interesting, man. Like, this kind of brings up questions of, consciousness and the origin of that and the hard problem of consciousness right um which is you know where did it come from and there is no consciousness atom so if that's the case then aren't all, all atoms available to have an experience and religion doesn't have to be right panpsychism Yes, you go so religion doesn't right. have to be tangled up in that. No, it, it doesn't have it, to be tangled up. I guess all I'm yeah. saying is, like, in so Christopher Hitchens used to describe himself as an anti-theist. Not an, he didn't like the term atheist because he wanted to make it very clear that not only was he not religious, he opposed everything religion <laughs> uh, espoused. And so he, and it, I mean, his last. Well, well, not his last book, but his last major book was literally called God is Not Great, Why Religion Poisons Everything. So this is not a guy <laughs> who takes anything anything of value out of it. And I guess, what I'm, I guess the term atheist to me still rings of a kind of lack of deistic belief. And so it would be... So if I wanted to call myself an atheist, I don't think... I could have my own personal theory about what might happen after I died, but I guess I wouldn't have a group. I wouldn't. I wouldn't share that with people, and I wouldn't try to say, "Oh, you've got to believe what I believe," and because that's when it becomes religion. That's when it becomes something about like group cultish mm. thinking that needs to all agree. But I actually mm. think what you're saying is is actually spot on. Where if we all adopted an individual approach to these things, to these matters of our own foundational worth and what we ought to be thinking about, what values do we ought to have, we can approach that question all individually and, and come to our own conclusions about an afterlife, about about a God, whatever it is. But it's when you're just told that, 
and you don't investigate it for yourself. That, mm. Is that when it becomes a problem where you're just convinced that heaven exists, even though you've never really thought about it just because it's comforting your fear of death? Do you think that's a problem? That's interesting. I think it, it comes back to... Um, it's really based in the, in the human condition and how religion's about. Right. And, like, when you're saying uh, on an individual level, when you have your own personal beliefs, I just think, you know if you were to go and spread that and share that with people initially, you, people are going to think you're crazy. But <laughs> if you say this is a religion and, yeah. you know, nowadays, you know, if you say this is what I believe, heaven and hell, you're not crazy. You're not crazy. No, you know yeah, you're one of the common folk. You're one of the, you're one of the common folk. You're one of <laughs> yeah. someone. And, you're and with the mainstream. recognize that. People can recognize you. And... Uh, but has, hasn't it been like own... that throughout most of our history? Like, hasn't it always been an exception to not be religious? Because, I mean, you didn't have the fortune of it. You were just killed if you were in some religion or excommunicated like Spinoza, if you were in right. some religious community. You, we only have the privilege today of being able to say, well, maybe we're atheists, maybe we don't believe. And mm. there's still a minority of us. Like, it's still, as you actually, that's right. a good point. Right. This actually connects, let's bring it back to The Wager for a second, because another premise in The Wager that I think is strongly criticized, and rightfully, is the idea that, well, you're on your deathbed, and the probability is 50-50. Either there's an afterlife, and you get to, you know, get the spoils of all that great reward, or there's not, and you get nothing, or there's hell, and you're going to be in, in hell. Um, mm. it's, it's a sort of very clear percentage probabilistic argument but at the same time we know that every human discovery every scientific upgrade we've gotten with respect to our understanding of the natural world darwin Dar evolution by natural selection through darwin right general relativity through einstein all of and going back to newton just just understanding how the planets move everything we've learned about the natural world contradicts the premises of religious belief and so it's not quite yeah. it's not quite a clear probabilistic argument at least in my eyes it's more of the probability it's like it's more it's more like you're i'm on my deathbed and you're asking me to believe in fairies because it could <laughs> come with a, some that, that that's kind of how i see the prob the probabilities it's like everything about the claims of a religious afterlife have been shown to be undermined because every other claim that religion makes has been undermined right, right. the sanctity of um you know godlike life and adam and eve we know that obviously it's a story that mm. incestuously doesn't play out very well and noah's right. ark we know that didn't happen so why would we take all those it's not as if it's not as if it's been sort of right on on, on a, a few things it's like <laughs> no it's been wrong on everything and to take it like pascal does and say well it could be the case i just think that is a, a maybe a an incoherence in the in the the thought experiment what do you think about that do you have any strong reaction to that well you know you say that it's a 50 50 but yeah because of what you've just said and how everything is kind of science proves that religion probably doesn't exist it's more like a 95 to 5 for me like there's a five percent chance that i will be greeted by whoever it is at the gates and either lucifer or uh, god will be taking me one way or the other but just what you were saying before, though, that doesn't mean that we can't have a kind of faith about what dying means, right? Because that's exactly what you were getting at before. It's like, yes, we don't have to believe as if we're going to the clouds to see all our buddies, but at the same time, 
we don't have to be needlessly so uh, afraid of losing our bodily selves. Like we can have some other belief about why this is a natural thing that's occurring. And that can also assuage our fear of being on our deathbed, right? Because that comes with all kinds of, I'm sure, existential trauma and stress that you're not familiar with until you're there. Mm. But I think you were saying that before. That's a great point. It's that you can still have your own faith about what's coming next, right? It doesn't have to be tied yeah. to a dog. Yeah, right. And yeah, and it doesn't need to be validated by other people. Just because it's a religion, just because you go and you're practicing, I'm not trying to take away from that, but it doesn't mean it's any more true, does it? Just because there's a book, just because you believe hey man the book is doesn't it come back to that the book is like, really really old you're right right so, yeah checkmate but, atheists checkmate there you go. <laughs> it's real it's, it's as real as anything i don't know look the way i see it i just there's nothing more true than nature right right so if you just observe nature and how the you know we're we're here just like the trees are just like a frog is when you observe that, what happens when they die? Okay, they go back into the earth. They're then cultivated into something else. What, what gives us the speciality to think that we're going anywhere else different? That's exactly it. And we should say, because if you catch us on another day, we would be saying other things about religion, right? We, we can both say good things about religion. It's just in this case, so we should say for our listeners that maybe feel the you know offense that you're feeling from you know your sacred books being criticized fair enough but we if you catch us on another day on another episode we could be saying very positive things about the value of community and why religion does have those positive aspects but on this topic in particular that's exactly right and if you're able to listen to this argument this conversation without feeling as if we're attacking your no foundational thing that's not what we're doing we actually i think what you just said there it's more it's more coming from an appreciation of what we know to be true about nature and the truth is it's just it's very difficult for any 21st century person to be asked to believe fairy tales without any metaphorical understanding so to take these things literally in any respect seems to be completely far-fetched in the 21st century if you have I don't know, a modern education. Maybe there's some caveats there where if you're just put in a room with (laughs) complete indoctrination, you're not going to be as enlightened as we'd like. But if you've had an education in a relatively secular society, I don't know, it feels like it would be an act of forcing your belief to... And if you didn't have it in your family, of course, all those caveats, it would be a kind of act of tremendous coercion to in my mind anyway to believe in this in the specific stories it seems much more rational to me to say well this is what nature is this is what we know about it and to the extent that death is a relatively natural thing there's no reason to think it's not natural we see it everywhere in all things in all forms of life i think it's it's very fascinating to notice all these layers in which death is present because that can get you out of this Fear that it's just some unnatural demon coming to get you or that it because mm. because non-experience I mean what even is non-experience it's not even something that you're you can conceptualize let alone you know why do you go to sleep every night without any fear right these are all questions mm. you should be asking yourself if you do have this 
bodily fear of death, I suppose. But do you, I guess just rounding out here, do you have anything you want to add to this this kind of uh, approach to thinking about religion in a more, as you've pointed out, more natural way, a more individual way? Because I think what you said about the frog was was beautiful. What you just said about yeah, going to sleep at night and. Um not having any fear of that and, and putting all your trust and faith into waking up the next morning. <laughs> it's a kind I mean, of superpower, yeah. Yeah, and it's it, and for a lot of us, we, it's kind of a given and it's we, totally we think given, we yeah. view it that way because yeah. we become so used to it. Yeah. But what we should really be uh, more uh, recognizing is, yeah, we might not wake up when we, do, when we um, go to sleep. We might not wake up. And... You know, it's it really comes down to appreciating every. Um, if there's a religion about that, I don't know. I would like to be become aware of that because that's really what it's all about. It's it's appreciating every moment, realizing that every moment could be your last. It's yeah, and there's just an overwhelming sense of gratitude that comes from living your life with that in the background. Yeah, and there's also the kind of other arguments that we've talked about before, but not on the show. We'll probably have episodes on them when we'll go into like more depth and we can unpack them a little more deeply, share all our lovely feelings on the topics. But also the fact that, look, if you didn't die, you'd live forever. It's like, do you want do you want that? <laughs> Is that do the goal? That? <laughs> it's like, yeah. Um, and if so, then how long? 200, 300, 400? When are you going to cap it off? Because it seems to right. me you're never going to be in the moment and deciding i mean maybe you do because people commit suicide i suppose but uh if you if you do have the option it's like you'd have to at some point will yourself into non-existence like alan watts has a great line if you did live forever if you were the kind of omniscient omnipotent god who could dream a thousand dreams you would eventually come to the experience you're having because you'd imagine you'd want a finite experience you'd want an experience which we could savor and and bathe in the richness mm. of because you knew it was going to come to an end otherwise yeah immortality is a kind of a game it's a kind of like a temptation but it, it's not it's not anything anyone wants <laughs> really is that the meaning of life just mindlessly uh seeking pleasure no, I don't think I don't so, know. because human beings do this weird thing where we make symphonies and we build, like, there's, uh, we mm. build buildings, right? We build pyramids. Like, there's a, there's a line in the show Westworld where this guy, uh, the, the leader of the company who builds this whole park for robots to be, like, the playthings of human beings, he dies in the show and he becomes a part of the simulation. He becomes one of the hosts, one of the robots in the park, and he says something that, um, you know, I think he said, Mos- I think it's like Mozart and Bach didn't die they simply became music like that's what human beings do mm. we become immortal through our thi- our things whatever it is we we make things we make we make music we make art and then through that we become kind of immortal but our bodily selves certainly aren't and i don't think you'd want it to be you d- you wouldn't want to be quote unquote stuck really i don't think mm. i think uh, mm. yeah it's like the, that's the whole point of of Seneca's essay, right? The shortness of life. It's like, it's not that life is short and that it gets ripped away from you. It's that you didn't realize how rich the finite aspect of time was. You too focused on these other resources. You didn't realize that time was that one resource that was not going to be replenished. Sure, you could have unlimited money, unlimited land, unlimited social 
power and reputation, but your time is not. There's no game you can play with the universe to get that back, right? There's no. There's no wager yeah. for that, unfortunately. And yeah. How does How does this strike you, Jay? So okay. Pascal's wager, um, in terms of, uh, well, the the current situation. So the current situation is going to continue no matter what, no matter what you do, what you think. So you can either have fun with it, and <laughs> or. Or not, or not, and the yeah. current situation will still be the same. The current world situation, you know, it's like the I saw one time it was um, if you if it's snowing and you choose not to enjoy the snow, well, it's still snowing, so you can't change that fact. I don't know if that makes any sense. No, yeah, but, yeah, no, it does. I mean, it gets back to what we're talking about. Bring it all together. It's about that acceptance and how that goes together with resistance and resilience and yes yeah i think he's mentioned that before as well it's just a lot of people are struggling with that acceptance i think a lot of people are not finding and i gotta say it it has i mean i can't not associate that with just a lack of an ability to really control one's attention because otherwise Mm -hmm. i saw something on twitter actually that sort of summed it up for me it's like we're discovering now who, you know, the people that were saying, as you said before, I'm busy, I don't have the time. We're discovering who really actually doesn't, like, who do, who, people who don't have the time, there's no excuse anymore. Like, if you, if you were saying, I don't have the time to learn this new skill or pick up this new thing or start getting my art out there, it's like, no, that's no longer an excuse. You, you do have the time. Are you mm. doing it? And if, and if mm. you're finding that the majority of your day is just spent from your iPhone to Netflix to your iPhone to food to Netflix to sleep... Maybe that's time to start evaluating your attention a little more. Mm. Uh, look, I'm not. I'm, maybe I'm sounding probably like a, like the like an oracle or something. Like I have my shit together. <laughs> I don't. Right. But yeah. Th- these. I guess if you have these ideals for yourself, it's gonna be a lot easier to get to a, a more. I don't even want to say productive because productive productivity is not the end goal. It's just your overall moment to moment content contentment, your happiness, and even happiness yes. is a kind of trite word, I guess. But. Mm. You want to be able to settle. You want to like even in the midst of this thing where there is chaos and there are people panicking around you. You don't want to adopt their panic. You don't want to. You want to be the space where you could say, "Okay, well, look, I've got my shit sorted. I've got my routine. I'm doing what I want to do still," and being the stability for other people to say, "Okay, well, look, when they're not panicking enough, you let them panic a little more. When they are panicking too much, you don't let them panic." And you, I don't know. That's what I'm trying to do anyway. It's just, that's the only role I could find for myself is just be like, "Okay, well." try to regulate the uh, from what what I know about the situation try and inject whatever san- sanity I can back into my world but we can't yeah. do much more than that I mean and, and unfortunately if you're locked down with I guess people in your living environment that you don't particularly want to be locked down with because they're you know a bit obtuse or they're still going out that's that's a whole other thing that's a, that's another scenario um, I'm mm. sure some people are in much worse circumstances with sharing rooms with relatives I'm, I'm very glad I don't have to do anything like that I don't have to bunk up with anyone so I'm in a pretty good situation so I can't really complain you know right right exactly yeah and it it is finding peace in amongst all the chaos you know yeah. yours you said you you were trying to find sanity in all of it um, yeah sanity equates to peace in my mind um, you know chaos can be going on all around you but I think the best way to look at it is if you were a Buddha the Buddha in, and, and isn't that there that story where he's in the middle of this war 
and the two armies are approaching each other, but he's in the middle just totally pieced. Zen out. Zend out, right. Da, 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 da. And, uh, yeah, find, <laughs> finding that peace in amongst all of this craziness yeah. is really the ultimate goal. If you can do that, you're winning. You're winning. It's really interesting, though, as well, because it's like we're discovering how many people don't even have hobbies. Like, And that's fine, because we've been living in a society that's, that's right. maximized human pr- productivity labor at all costs. Fair enough. But when you when, yes. when, when, when now we're ejected from that system somewhat, it's like we've all forgotten how to be human. We've forgotten how to just waste time. Like, that's the thing. It's like, just as you were talking, it occurred to me like, oh, the reason why I'm not panicked is because when I'm making music or when I'm just going about my day, I'm still doing activities which where thoughts aren't really involved, where I'm just being sucked into... Yes the momentum of what I'm doing. And so that's why my routine has been relatively the same. But I imagine people that have did that were just stuck in the productivity and momentum of their lives, the only way they could switch it off their thoughts is with Netflix or with food. And if you don't have an outlet or a hobby, or if you don't exercise, because exercise is another great one for me, my thoughts are going too quickly or whatever, you just lift up some weights, I'm breathing properly, it's fine. Everything slows down. Meditation is also great for that too, but you don't need to do those things specifically. Just, no. I don't know, cook cook a meal. Like, get out of your head. Find, I love that. Find something that puts you into this meditative state. You know, it's the state of flow. Yeah. It's when um, you're totally immersed in an in activity and you, you can't, everything just feels so natural. One thing flows after. That's perfect. Yeah, everyone, need, everyone needs their state of flow, uh, some sort of an experience and activity that allows them to achieve that. And like you said, relying on Netflix, relying on food, iPhone, and bouncing between those three things, um, eventually you're going to realize that your potential is probably being wasted. I, mean, I don't, really don't know what how, another way to put that. But it um, is, but I, 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 you feel that though, don't you? Like you also feel it. Like I can't, yeah. it's like I can't get... S- I do get sucked into vices, obviously, I'm a human being. And right. I want to talk about this next. It's okay to be bored of yourself as well. Like, you don't have to resent yourself. It's okay to chuckle yeah. at the fact that you're an ape being guided around by a limbic system who wants sugar. And it's okay to recognize that. You don't have to hate that. You don't have to resent and hate your vices. You can. That is totally normal. That is the right. most human thing. Yeah, but if you think you're, uh, like, if you have this really rigid discipline, like, sometimes that becomes too tightly wound, you know what I'm saying? And, like, and you become, like, your own taskmaster, but in a vicious way. Like, you don't want to have a mm. resentful, vicious, like, relationship with your thoughts. You want to, because I, like, a lot of people drive themselves through the day with a sense of duty where they just abuse their thoughts and they just, all their thoughts are just, get the fuck up, do this, do that. There's not any time, as you just said, to put it down and just enjoy what you're doing and just settle into whatever it is, cooking a meal, um, playing with your kid. You know, if, if, it's, if it's watch, you know what's driving me crazy is that people can't even watch Netflix or like TV. I've seen, like, I don't know if this drives you crazy, where they, where they can't even watch a show without a phone or a laptop. It's like, you're not even... <laughs> well done. Yeah, well put. Thank you, thank yeah. you, thank you. Thank yeah. you, audience. Um, our, live, really... our live studio audience. Um, <laughs> isn't that mental? Like, doesn't it's that show you something? Thing. Oh, my God, man. Totally. Crazy. Yeah. What, this second screen experience is, is needed. You're like, not even oh, watching. You're not enough. even watching. What... Yeah, l- let, let me try my happiness with another screen. See how that works. <laughs> <laughs> It's, yeah, that is really it's bizarre. Crazy. And if you're doing that, 
please. I mean, it's nothing against you. Don't hate yourself for it. Just try to realize the moment that you do it, uh, or even in in amongst it, scrolling Facebook, just try to realize that and ask an introspective question once in a while. Why? Why? Why am I doing this right now? What What am I doing? The and that's totally points. fine. You're probably hard. in a cloud. You're yeah. in some sort of foggy state. Get yourself up. Get some fresh air. Nature yeah. will always re- re- like help you return to being yourself, being more of yourself. So, I don't know. That's my advice. That's good <laughs> advice. Yeah. Good advice. Okay. Awesome. awesome. Okay. We've been we've been cooking on the second segment for a while, so maybe we'll wrap it up. Thank you, Brady, okay. as always. Yep, no worries. Get some crafty edits in there, surely. Oh, I might have a few edits this one. I might have to uh, edit this one overnight, perhaps, yeah. <laughs> surely, yeah, why not? Surely. Yeah. Thank you, mates. Great. We'll see you on the next mate date. See you there. <laughs> I can't tell. <laughs> That's... A good, a good way. <laughs> but I am being sincere. But I am being sincere. Yeah.